Hello, hello, hello. Maayong adlaw, magandang araw, good day avid listeners. Welcome to the fourth episode of Die and Bits. The looming threats of the new COVID-19 variants cannot stop us. No one and nothing's gonna stop us. Now that sounds like a 1980s song by Starship. Right, Kidai? How are you? Mm-hmm. My forever beautiful and not so Paris Hilton of Migos anymore. <laughs> Pura na siya si Ellen Adorna, my partner in crime, Kidai. How are you, Kidai? I'm sure our avid listeners have missed us. Just last week, I was kind of sad. But then a few days later, I got hopeful because of that starting news that OnlyFans... will possibly ban adult content, ma'am. Oh my God. You've heard of the news, but right? I've heard of it. But you know what? Recently, I stumbled upon Manuel Ferrara's uh, Twitter account and he has an OnlyFans account. Yeah. That's why I am quite hopeful now because of public pressure, they might change their mind. The corporate people... behind OnlyFans because looking at you and the results of your plant-based diet, okay, I yes. feel that you should have another career. Oh, which career? Look, look, looking at those tricks, they're meant for porn, ma'am. That's why I, I was sad. When I, I won't fans, contest. Ooh, I know, I know. That's why I was kind of sad that OnlyFans... I'll try to block adult content because I want you to have a luxurious point career. And now that they're about to change their minds, okay, Th- thank you, nothing's going to stop you. you now. I know, but you know what? One of my dreams in this lifetime is to see you hanging with Manuel Ferrara, Rocco Cifredi, James Dean, Johnny Castle, and... A lot more of our friends, like Raihaim Shabazz. I got myself evaluated for possible porn opportunities. And And they think, universally think, that I am just meant for torture porn. Well, I do believe that you are the Lisa Ann of Dicos. <laughs> you are the Lisa Ann of Dicos. And look at you. Today, you are so pretty. You are so adorable with your long hair, long and shiny hair. And for our fourth episode, still perennially topless. <laughs> I know. I know. Topless and I'm waiting for your burp. I know that you're going to burp later on in the episode. Okay. But you know what, Kinai? Our episode for... Our fourth episode, rather, is extra special. No, it's extra special due to the insistent public demand. No, we're giving you our picks. We're going to give you our recommendations for a book and a television show or film. So, mm-hmm. do you think this episode will be important and exciting, Kidai? As you mentioned, this is going to be extra. It's just like your halo halo with an ice cream on the top. Yes, oh my God, I miss Halo Halo. I should order Halo Halo soon. But the plant-based, the vegan Halo Halo. Okay. Okay, Show so... Show me a picture then. I know. So let's start now, Kidai. Give me your sure. pick. Okay. 
my book recommendation is entitled Legendary Children. Ooh. The first decade of RuPaul's Drag Race and the last century of queer life. It's written by Tom Fitzgerald and Lorenzo Marquez. They're a gay couple, married. Okay. So let me establish their credentials first. They're known as fashion bloggers. They're, they have a blog called Tom Plus Lorenzo. Okay. Oh, wow. That's the cover of the book. But, You're reading it in your Kindle. Have you read it? Have you finished reading yes, it? Yes, it's, it's an e-book. I've oh, finished okay. it. This is the only book I've purchased this year so far. <laughs> anyway, as I mentioned, they're kind of famous fashion bloggers. They cover uh, events like the Met Gala, the Oscars, the Emmys, and all of those other events where celebrities done their best. But it's not the blog that got my attention. It's actually their podcast, the wow. Tom and Lorenzo's Pop Style Opinion Fest, in which they actually talk about fashion and other pop culture issues. So they yeah. are our rival. They're the <laughs> rival of the bits. Yep, possibly, but they're they're kind of fancier than us because we have yet to grace the Met Gala, but it's going to happen soon. <laughs> I know. Anyway, ma'am, they're kind of interesting because, okay, they're bona fides. They're kind of interesting because they were the ones to first interview RuPaul when RuPaul mm. launched uh, the drag race, RuPaul's drag race, during his first season when it was still obscure, he still had a niche audience, and RuPaul at that time, okay, just made a comeback. Mm. And, of course, they're fashion bloggers, so they can uh, kind of, they're credible on commenting on fashion, and fashion is a very big component in drag. Okay. So, why is this book interesting? The title is The First Decade of RuPaul's Drag Race and the Last Century of Your Life. Okay. It historicizes every major segment of RuPaul's Drag Race. You have, you have watched uh, the, the two seasons, right? Yeah, season five and six. Okay. This is how the book unfolds. Okay. Chapter one, for instance, focuses on the workroom. And ma'am, you know that in the workroom, that's where our queens, our contestants, make their entrances. Oh. Right? And dare you not forget Laganja's very famous entrance in which she did a death drop. I know. I remember that. Can you possibly share to our... Uh, listeners who are not fans or are not viewers of RPDR or RuPaul's Drag Race, what a death drop is and what it looks like because this it is a looks like this. <laughs> so I cannot show it, but later on, later on, because I have a surprise about RuPaul's Drag Race. Go on. Ma my description is this a death drop is a move 
a dance move similar to somebody being a victim of a hit and run accident. Don't you agree? <laughs> Kinda. Knowing Lagasha, <laughs> she did the death drop. Okay. It's just like this. When you do a death drop, ladies and gentlemen and queens and kings, you fall backwards with your three limbs, okay, outwards and one uh, foot folded behind you. <laughs> Yes. Okay. A glamorous way of presenting a yes, a vehicular accident, <laughs> a victim of a vehicular accident. So that's it. And then the writers, Tom and Lorenzo, then segues into the idea of gay spaces for queer people. Because my in the workroom, right? You notice that they did drag, they take off their clothes, chit chat, yes. talk about many things. Okay. And it can be possibly called as a safe space because, you know, us queer people, we need safe spaces. And then the idea of a space, safe space is then. Uh, unpacked. Right. The Stonewall incident, which mm. changed uh, the lives of gay people, particularly in the US. Yes. Right. Okay. It was supposed to be a safe space or a haven for gay people in the 60s. Yeah, but but because the owners and the inhabitants of that bar paid off the police. Okay. Okay. And then the revolution happened because this queen called Marsha P. Johnson. Okay. celebrate her birthday there and the police might have been asking for more money and they didn't get it barged into the bar okay. oh my a, a refresher for our listeners way back in the 60s okay it was still illegal to have a conversions of same-sex people dancing mm, and yeah. cavorting with each other. Thus, yes, definitely. This queen, Marsha P. Johnson, had enough. You know what she did, ma'am? What? She threw, when the police burst in, okay, staging a raid, she threw her shot glass and said, I want my civil rights. Mm. And her colleague, Sylvia Rivera, said that this is going to be a revolution. Thus, the confrontation between the police and the queer people, which history will show, yes. benefited the the gays 
historically. So yes. that's it. And it's uh, kind of depressing that our safe spaces are always challenged, right? Yes, yes. You don't have, you'd have to read the news or watch TV to know that there's a lot of police raids on queer spaces like gay bars, right? Because you just look at movies like Pop Boys now. Oh my God. Okay. It's a very depressing where, film. Okay, where oh, a shadowy politician actually threatens the lives of the title characters. Or you can look at a movie like Kill Portes Markova. Mm, yeah. And so histor- historically, that state forces, may they be uh, the government or foreigners, yes. okay, will always pose a threat to us. Okay. That explains why this book is a recommendation of mine. Okay. And speaking of safe spaces, not really being a safe space for long, you can just mention about, you can can just just possibly mention the uh, pools bar in Orlando, okay? Where a person killed almost 40 people. The Pulse Bar in Orlando, by the way, was a gay bar map. Okay. And then this person came in, barged in, and with a semi-automatic rifle, shot about 40 people. And one of the survivors was Kenya Michaels. Okay. Uh, RuPaul Queen in season four. So this is kind of sad. Our safe spaces are not always safe. Yes. Not just in America, but also in the Philippines. More so in the Philippines. And with movie houses houses being raided in the 90s because police forces detected that they they have become uh, cruising sites by gay people. Yes. Ah, okay. I, I have no words. This, I am worthless about it. Legendary children, okay, which unpacks every segment of RuPaul's Drag Race is kind of moving. How much is the book, ma'am? For our avid listeners who want to buy a copy of that book. And also for me, uh, because... I'm interested. Based on your um, on your explanation, I might buy one because I, I might read it in my Kindle. I think it's not much. It's the price of a regular book, say something like four hundred. Four hundred. Okay. Okay. I'll take note. Yeah. I'll take note of that. Ma, but while I highly recommend it, I have some caveats because for okay. a book about for a book about drag queens, let me just warn the listeners who want to buy it it doesn't have any it doesn't have much 
pictures. And you know, drag is very visual. Yes, <laughs> you yes, wanna, it's visual. You want to look at a picture of every queen mentioned. And also, because of its... Uh, because of its scope, Mm-mm. remember that the title is The Last Century of Queer Latin. That's 100 years. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. There are certain figures that need more just one chapter of a few pages. Like, for instance, The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, founded in 1979. Mm-hmm. Now, they're so interesting, ma'am. They're called as anarcho-queer spirituality. And it's, uh, one of his founders was, this is the tale, one of his founders was an actor in a community theater who was supposed to stage a production of Sound of Music. They didn't have the budget for the nuns' costumes. So this actor went to a nunnery and borrowed the nuns' hobbits. Oh. He didn't return it. He didn't return them. Instead, he founded this uh, nunnery called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence or the Order of Perpetual Indulgence. Oh. Mom, they're now all over the world and they don't want to be considered as drag queens. They want to be considered, them, they want to be considered as sacred clowns of queer life. Mm-mm, or as nuns. Yes, yes. Okay. Ma'am, I have a question. And have way, you ever... Yeah, sure. Let me, let, let me just mention the names of two of the founders, ma'am. Oh, who are the founders? One, one names, names herself as Sister Vicious Power Hungry Bitch. Okay. <laughs> and the other one calls herself as Sister Missionary Position. Okay. How is that for anarchy? And lastly, before you may talk about these people, uh, ask me about them. They have this yearly contest as a fundraiser called Honky Jesus. Mm. (laughs) Mm. In which a a good-looking man just has a loincloth on his private areas. And sometimes the contestant carries a cross. Yes, yes. So, so wait, wait. I have a question because I know sure. that many people are confused about the difference between uh, g- getting drag and uh, being a transsexual or transgender. No. So, uh, first of all, I would like to ask: How do you identify yourself, Gidai? Hmm. I'd like to believe that I am biologically female. <laughs> female. That's good. You're only boyish. Right? Your clothing is boyish, yeah. but you're female. No, how, if you identify yourself as a gay man, have you ever considered... Ma'am, I, I, I think I'm non-binary. No, okay. If you consider yourself as a non-binary, have you ever considered doing drag? That could have been like 60 years ago. That would have been your career 60 years ago. 
In the near future. <laughs> In the near future. Because, you know what, after watching RuPaul's Jag Race, Bose, and a lot more, I realized that Remember it's fun. What, what Gia Gunn said when she... Absolutely. No. When she saw Diane Lake. What? She said, there's room for everybody. Just <laughs> <The> shade. <laughs> There's room for everybody. Right, right. I remember that. She, she's one of my favorites. Gia Gone, because she's stupid. Right? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about that later on. Because, ah, uh, I mean, I hate to, to say it, but we're go- going back to RuPaul's Drag Race later on when I tell you my recommendation for TV show. But anyway, my pick for the book is okay. the translation. Yeah, because we're talking about books now for our first part. And then later on, we're going to talk about television or film. Sure. My pick for a book is the translations of Bodas de Sangres or Blood Wedding, a play yeah. by Federico Garcia Lorca. No? Uh-huh. Uh, there, there is this translations of the book, no, of the play rather, by Bienvenido mm-hmm. Lumbera. No? So this is the book. Mm. It's titled mm-hmm. Casal sa Dugo. It's published by the Ateneo de Manila University Press. Mm-hmm. It's available in Shopee and Lazada. So if you want a copy, now you can buy it from their uh, Shopee and Lazada sites. So please, Ateneo, if you're listening, give me discounts. No? But anyway, uh, this book, no, the play, is a tragedy in four acts. No? Uh, it uh-huh. retells the different shapes and colors of violence no, in a rural town in Spain. No? Uh, it uses tropes and metaphors in conveying its symptomatic meaning, no? which is certainly about um, feudalism and corruption due to gaining of power. No? I okay. love the translations because the narrative of Bodas de Sangre or Casal Sadugo is reminiscent of the plight and struggles of many people in the countryside in the Philippines. No, and recently, if you will remember, there is this cadre from Negros no, who was killed no, in an en- encounter. No, her name is Kaela. She, she was called as Kaela by her comrades in Negros, mm. in Silay Negros. But her original, her um, real name no, is Kerima. Kerima mm. Lorena Tariman. No, the daughter of Pablo Tariman. Yeah. I know that you're familiar with Pablo Tariman because he's mm. a very, very good journalist, right? And he's one of the best friends of Lino mm. Broca. And I remember reading an article by Pablo Tariman saying that he named one of his daughters Kerima because Broca and himself love Kerima Polot and Tovera to bits and to pieces. No? Mm-hmm. And actually, that's very, very striking because I know Pablo Tariman and Lino Broca as activists. No? But look at mm-hmm. them. No? Parang, um, having pensions for one of uh, the cronies no? of the Marcos family, Kerima Polot, who happened to be one of the best female writers or women writers no, in Philippine literature in English. But anyway, going back to this book, before we discuss Kerima Polotan and Kerima Tariman, I believe that Bien Lumbera's play, no, I mean, translations of the play, Bien is a national artist for literature, no, and I do believe that Bien is one of the most rightful uh, artists no, to be called this national artist. No? Uh, this play, no, the translations, is certainly um, successful in interpreting and culturally adapting the play 
no? Um, in the context uh, of the Philippines, no? Um, especially that the dialogues of the of the poem, I mean, the dialogues in this play are like poems. No, they are poems. Let me no, stop let me... you there. Okay, sure. So, before you go any further, a vital question. Sure. What makes what makes a good translation? What makes a good translation? Yep. I'm not a translation expert, Miss Kidai, no, but mm-hmm. to me, a good translation transcends no language barriers. No? So if I can relate okay. to a text, if I can relate to a text and uh, it can touch something inside me, especially in the human condition, to me, that's a good translation. That's a good translation work. Mm. How about you? When okay. you say that this work or this text is a good translation. It's a good translation if the translator actually makes the language palpable to his readers. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. And by, by palpable, I mean they could get the context and allow their own context, yes. cultural context in the reading. Yes. If they can make it relatable, to a motley of yeah. readers, to a variety of readers. That's a good translation work, right? Specifically, the, the ones uh, the translation is meant for. Yes. Like, yes. if it's translated in Filipino, then the Filipino readers can possibly appreciate not just how it sounds, okay. not just the language, but the way, subtle way in which the translator can also interpret the cultural aspect of the audience. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And I remember early today, I asked you a question, ma'am, how would you translate the word on in English? Right? Remember that? I know. Because there's no direct translation of Pohon in English. And even in Tagalog, and perhaps the closest I, I, would be I, 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 I Sananawa. For just a word. I was just wishing for a word. Because there's a wistfulness in the utterance of Pohon. I know. Pohon. Pohon. That's Pakita verb number one. Kita ta Pohon. Diba? Unta magka... Uyab na si Douglas, si Kiday Pohon, right? Punta, magagbang, magagbang na si Jombies Pohon. Lagi, <laughs> lagi. <laughs> Now I look like Jinx Monsoon. Pohon. You know what? If you would have a drag name, it should be Pohon, right? Pohoni. Pohoni. But anyway, yeah, Pohoni. Okay, we're running out of time. You go for your peak. For your recommendation for television okay. show or film, Kidai. Uh, my recommendation is actually the first season of Bagman. The I Want FC and Jimscape series, which is now on Netflix. The creators are, I listed them down, and I don't know If you are familiar with them, the creators are 
Philip King. Okay. Lino Cayetano. Lino Cayetano? The Mayor of the Gate yep. or not? Oh, okay. Oh, it's the I show on Netflix. Yep. John... Okay. Uh, certain John Calobaila. Okay. And Shigo... Shigo Prasho. Oh, it's Shugo. Shugo Praiko. Prasho. Who's, who's the director? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's uh, a former director in ABS-CBN, Shugo Praiko. Anyway, I'm recommending this one because it follows the tradition of the current prestige TV in the US, which is a anti-hero. Okay. okay. The every man who becomes not an every man, but a sort of a shady character, just like Breaking Bad. In Breaking Bad, Brian Cranston plays Walter White, a make chemistry teacher who turns into a drug dealer. And I think I have the feeling that uh, Bagman follows this trajectory because in Bagman, Arjo Ataide plays Benjo, a lowly barber who turns okay. into the titular Bagman of a go- governor, an errand boy. And the errands are kind of shady. Okay. Blackmail and extortion to sustain the governor's popularity. The governor is played by Raymond Bagasin. Okay. Uh, Ma'am, why I recommend the first season of this uh, series is because of the contrast it makes to our beloved K-dramas. Our K-dramas are good, but, but you especially I, can be impatient with the backstories, the flashbacks, right? Yes. That's the reason why I could not sustain watching the much love is okay not to be okay. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of that. I I actually started watching it, but I got bored. There are too many slow motion scenes. And the backstories, you can compile them and actually can turn them into a feature film because of their length. But ma'am, in Bagman, okay, yes. the transition from Lowly Barber, played brilliantly by Arjun Ataida, Arjun Ataida. Into, into the government, uh, the governor's favorite sidekick is a lean. 40-something minutes. Mm, okay. Okay. And I was so impressed because, you know... How many episodes even the budget, does it have? I, I think the first season has 12. Okay. Okay. Given the budgetary constraints, you know, and the, the budget, like... You worked uh, for a studio before. And yes. you were the... You were the bad man, the line producer. I know. Right? And you can just allocate the budget for just so much. Okay. So you have to use the budget sparingly. 
I was so impressed by Bagman because considering I know what I know of uh, Pinoy productions, okay, they were able to do so much with just so little, especially in comparison to something like a K-drama production. Like the first episode, which I liked the most, could have been two episodes in a K-drama. But the first episode of Bagman is just a lean 40 minutes something. Okay. Shows the academy of the writing and the production. Okay. It has a lot of loss. That's why I say I'm recommending the first season. It has a second season, but in the second season, I think they have run out of ideas. Is it now available on Netflix, the second season? Yes. It's, oh, okay. Yep. Both the two, two seasons, but I'm recommending the second season because only the, the first season, season. They have uh, they have recycled or exhausted all their ideas in the first season. I think meetings, even oh. if in the second season, you got in the second season it features the glorious Rosana Rosas as mm. a shady, another shady character. Okay, again. Why am I recommending this, Bagman, despite its flaws? Because it shows the possibilities that Pinoy creators can possibly do, even with constraints like budget. Yes. So that's my recommendation. Bagman, the series starring the glorious Arjo Atayde. Arjo Atayde. You know what? Yeah. Ma'am, l- let me just talk about Arjo Atayde and his performance. Because sure. Is he a good actor? I remember him in By he Boss. He is. And he was good in By Boss. By Boss. He is, ma'am, because of this looks. Mm. When you look at him and when you don't know that his parents, you know, she... Uh, his son of Silva Sanchez, the veteran, the now acclaimed veteran. Actress. Who played the role of Esosa after Ate Guy yeah. vacated, right? The role. <laughs> Now, when you look at Arjo Atayde, he's not really... He's good-looking, but you cannot really say that he's, you know, up there with the most good-looking, right? Yes, yes. That's, that's why he fits Bagman so much because... During the first scenes of the first episode, he should look like an everyman. Mm, he looks ordinary. Yeah. Oh. And then when he transitions into becoming someone else, like he's, he was he's better dressed, okay, he also looks credible. Mm-hmm. He's a good actor. That's why the that's why the role is yeah kind of perfect for him. Yeah, Because, yeah, yeah. He's a good actor. Yeah. So that's it. Let me just. Uh, repeat it again. Bagman season one, but season okay. two not, not so much. much. Yeah, not so much. Oh, so it's it's like this the Stranger Things of Philippine series. The first season is <laughs> yeah, it's really really good. Well, the second and third seasons are meh, not so much. No, but anyway, I have yet to watch Bagman, and I will surely watch the first season because of you, Kidai, because of your recommendation. And you know what? I always see Bagman whenever I turn on the TV, whenever I uh, go to Netflix. No, but I haven't had the opportunity to watch it. No, but because of your recommendation, I will. I would. No, I would watch it soon. Okay. So now for my 
recommendation. No? I recently watched a film on Apple TV. No? Mm. Uh, I'm not a rich person. I just had um, a three-month free trial no, in Apple TV. That's why I have an account right now. No? But uh, So uh, there's this film titled Goda. No? It's mm-hmm. an independent film. It's actually a Beldung's Roman, a coming-of-age film. It is about a girl uh, in a rural town in the United States. She's from a deaf family, from a, from a deaf family, and um, she's the only one who isn't deaf no, in their family. No? And the girl can sing. She has a very good voice. No? And she wanted to study to Berkeley. No? She wanted to study music no, in Berkeley. But they don't have money. No? So that's the, no, that's the plot of the film. No, I won't spoil you, no, but I'm saying that it's a good film. No? I, I, I was moved. Um, I cried buckets of tears no, towards the end of the film. And I love Ferdia Pilo. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with Ferdia Pilo. He played the role of um, Connor in Sing Street. Have you seen Sing, Sing Street? No, 2016? It's a good film. It's a good film. And, but I know that Marlene Matlin is in it. I know Marlene Matlin and she's so good in the film. She's so good. The, the and I remember her. I remember her. Diba? She's, For Children of the Lizard. Yes, I know. She won. She bagged the Best Actress Award mm-hmm. in Os- the Oscars, right? And uh-huh. as of diba, today, uh, she's the only deaf actress no? uh, to win an Oscar, right? But anyway, that's not my recommendation. Although I also recommend Koda. No, you should watch Koda. My recommendation, mm. my pick for a television show, no, is you mentioned this earlier, RuPaul's Drag Race, particularly <laughs> season five and season six. No, to me, RPDR is one of the most entertaining and extravagant reality shows in TV. No, it is full of drama and comedy. And I love it. No? So perhaps we can talk about our favorite contestants in season five and six and our favorite moments no? uh, in RuPaul's Drag Race. No, we still have, I think, 20 minutes to talk about them. So bring it on, Kidai. Who's your favorite in season five and season six? Or who are your favorites? In season five okay. and six. I mentioned about my appreciation for the economy in storytelling in Bagman. Yeah. So let's just mention two each. Sure. Two moments each. Sure. Yeah. Of course, I have to repeat, nothing beats Laganja Estranja's entrance and her death drop. I That's know. my first, first choice. Let's get Sickening. <laughs> okay. Again, let me repeat that the death drop for people who have not watched RPDR RuPaul's Drag Race is what you look like when you have become a victim of a hit and run accident, but you are fully made up. Yes. She only she she also did that right? when she sang for her life in the lip sync for life. The yeah. dead job, right? But anyway, so what's your second moment? That's my first choice. My second moment <coughs> is the dramatic lip sync. <coughs> Let me just go. <coughs> Between detox and drinks monsoon. 
Oh yeah, I remember that. <coughs> diba? Um, ba, uh, the, It's season the 11, is, if I remember uh, right. Mambo number five? I forgot the song. But, oh, both killed it. But, Jinx won because we haven't watched her lip sync yet. I know. And throw her theater credentials. Yes. While we're already, uh, we're already immune to detox mouthing at that particular point. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. I understand. I understand. Because detox oh, is very good in lip sync. Okay. Ganja and death drop and uh, Jink Monsoon's trumping the otherwise reliable detox, whom I also yes. miss very much. Yes. Yes. To me, yeah, um, Jinx Monsoon won because it's the first time that we saw Jinx lip syncing for her life. Mm, the theatricality, the yes, the theatrica- theatricality. Because yeah, she has a theater background, no? and she played Hedwig. And, she played, she played Hedwig in the uh, theater. And what did she, what did she say before the lip sync? Thank God, I didn't have those hoop skirts. <laughs> I know, I know. But she isn't my bet in season five. My bet in season five were Alyssa Edwards and Roxy. Andrews. And speaking of Roxy Andrews, one of the moments I really, really like in season five, no, the first one is when Alisa Edwards and Roxy Andrews sang for their lives, when they lip synced for their lives. And when Ro- you know what? The hair twirling. I know, I know. When Roxy Andrews went like, mm, here's my other wig. That was fantastic. And ma'am, that was fantastic. I have a question. Sure. Are you sure you're not adopted and abandoned in a bus stop? <laughs> Please ask your mom. <laughs> she 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 bursted into tears. Roxy bursted <laughs> into tears. And I was like, what's happening? No, so that's one of my favorite moments. That's one of my favorite yeah, that's moments. Why. Yeah. I, I also like, I also like, I also like um. Coco Montrese and Alisa Edwards every time oh, they, they fight. Right? To me, they were the seed stillers of season five. Cold on a snake. <laughs> I know. But anyway, my second moment. My second moment is when RuPaul asked the contestants in season six no, to go to the runway wearing their Tony dresses. And then mm-hmm. the great Asian drag queen by the name of Gia Gon asked, what is a Tony? Mom, ignorance is drag, please. I know. She asked, what is a Tony? And I remember Bianca Del Rio, she went like, right? <laughs> I remember that. That was fantastic. And also, uh, Jocelyn, when she said, walk, 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 when she said, cup of soup, and I am the black horse of this competition. And the interviewer was like, 
illiteracy has never been sweeter. I know. I know. The interviewer went like, you mean Dark Horse? And then Justin <laughs> said, oh, all along I thought it's Black Horse. <laughs> That was fantastic. That was fantastic. So ma'am, if there's going to be, I think there's going to be a Filipino version. Yes. Of Drag Race. They're going there to be two. two. They're going, yeah, there well, are two. There's, there's Drag Den by Manila Luzon and then yes. the PHK. To, Mom, for it, I have a question. For it, for it to become really, really, really sensational and provocative, I hope that, that there's a lip sync for your life of the song Multong Bakla. Let's appropriate it. <laughs> I know. But ma'am, I have a question. So when they do the RuPaul's Drag Race Philippine edition, are the girls or are the contestants, um, will will they be transported to the United States of America or RuPaul is gonna They're go going here to go here in the Philippines? Oh, okay. They're going to shoot it here. Just oh, like okay. Drag Race Thailand. Oh, okay. So RuPaul went to Thailand? No. He... just appeared via video during the finals. Somebody is going to play RuPaul. So who are your choices? Vice Gedda, no. Uh, the most obvious one, yes. Okay, who else? Paolo Balesteros. Mm-hmm. Or... I think of Paolo Balesteros as a... Michelle Visage figure more than a RuPaul. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who's going to be the RuPaul? Bibi Hari? No. She's... People are going to kill me. But I say, Tuesday Vargas. <laughs> oh, okay. Even, even if she's, even if she's, she's gender. Okay. Bring, or, bring or if not Tuesday Vargas alive. <laughs> ma'am, if not Tuesday Vargas, I nominate Kidai Crispino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I okay. nominate Kidai Crispino. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> this yes. is gonna be the end of our show. <laughs> I know. It's been an hour. It's nice talking to you again, Kidai. How I wish uh, we still have a few minutes not to talk about our favorite characters in RuPaul's Drag Race, but it's about time to end the fourth episode. So thank you guys for listening. It was a fun episode again. If you have any suggestions for our next episode, kindly tweet us or message us. We're everywhere. We're like trolls. We're everywhere. Right, Kidai? Yes. Bye. Bye.